Welcome to this Stroke Journey podcast, brought to you by the National Stroke Education Center at the University of Cincinnati, your premier source for comprehensive diagnostic and therapeutic stroke education from the pre-hospital and emergency settings through the ICU and rehabilitation. Please welcome today's host, Dr. Jordan Bonomo. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really excited. This is one of our first roundtables that we're able to conduct for the NSCC. And with me today, I have two emergency nursing experts who I have the privilege of working with frequently. And I would say have taught me quite a bit over the last years about the management of our stroke patients in the emergency department. I'm gonna go ahead and ask them to briefly introduce themselves, tell you who they are, what they do, and then we'll get started. Hi, I'm Jen. I have about 18 years of experience of ER nursing, working at UCMC. Couldn't see myself doing anything else. I really like what I do. And we do see a lot of stroke patients increasingly over the years, I think, really. My name is Kirk Miller. I'm a ER nurse in UC Medical Center in the emergency department. I've been here for about five years and had the pleasure of learning a lot from both of you. So I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you both so much for being here today and spending your time with us as we start talking about stroke care and the nursing interface. Really quickly, give me an idea of what your work environment's like. So what is UCMC like as a nurse? Well, definitely expect the unexpected. I mean, truly, we don't know what's going to come through that door, um, being a level one trauma center. We have anything from toe pains to um, major traumas, heart attacks, strokes. She's absolutely right. It's crazy nonsense (laughs) in the best world that I could ever work in. Like she said, it goes from major traumas to strokes to complex, complex medical care and hopefully soon more ECMO. Um, (laughs) (laughs) ECMO is going to be a different podcast, but I'm with you. So let me ask the question then. Jen says you guys see everything down there from toe pain to major trauma. Um, It's a busy urban academic center. We see a lot. Our resources are constrained occasionally. When you're responsible for identifying the stroke patient coming through at triage, when you get that call from the front, they said, hey, this might be a stroke. What do you do? What do you think of as a nurse? How do you go out, look at the patient and make an assessment? Because you've got limited resources sometimes. You're talking about activating a whole system of care that's gonna take up a bed in our resuscitation unit, which may be necessary for someone else. We're almost always busting at the scenes with patients. How do you flip the switch? How do you know when it's time to activate your stroke treatment plans? Well, I think uh, EMS does a great job in the field of initially uh, recognizing that the patient uh, could be having a stroke. Um, And so they call our tele line and give us an update on the patient. They uh, usually do a stroke scale for us. They give us the last known normal, which is really important. Um, And then we think, um, number one, we need to make sure there's a, a proper bed in our trauma bay for them. Um, when they are en route, we let CAT scan know um, that this patient's coming in and uh, we get the patient to the scanner as quickly as we can while gathering information from EMS about, you know, what, what's going on with them. Wait, let, me, let me just pile on for a second. So if I heard you right, you get a tele call, you hear the call, you think it's a stroke, and then you go and let CAT scan know to be ready. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Do you think that happens nationwide? Do you think that's something that a lot of nurses are doing? Is that something that's taught to you guys or is it something that you've sort of picked up through your experience and practice? I think um, it's just kind of our standard of care at UC. Uh, we're lucky that we always usually have two 
operating CT machines in the emergency department, which is very lucky, and I'm sure most ERs do not have that. We're fortunate to be the comprehensive stroke center in the area, so we see this very frequently, and we're trained appropriately through the time we've been here to do the certain protocols appropriately. When we're seeing them out from triage desk, though, it kind of changes the ball game a little bit uh, because we're not having the peripheral IV access already obtained from EMS. Uh, so we do have to move them into the trauma bay very quickly or the resuscitation unit very quickly to get those um, initial steps started. But, but you see, I don't know, couple hundred patients a day out there in the lobby, right, that, that run through triage. How do you find those needles in the haystack? So as a nurse, what are you looking for when you're triaging potential stroke patients to make sure they don't get missed in the mix? I think when somebody comes in, usually a stroke patient will have somebody uh, accompanying them. So the, the person might say, hey, you know, my family member had an acute change um, in their mental status. Um, this is not their baseline behavior. You know, they, they notice a facial droop. Um, one side is weaker than another. Maybe the patient totally went unresponsive. Um, it just really depends on how severe the stroke is. So that alerts us to just recognize that this patient needs immediate care. Kirk, what about you? When you're, when you're looking at the patients in the lobby and someone says it might be a stroke or it might not be and you're not really sure, what do you do when you look at them? What's your exam like? Basically running through the entire stroke scale as much as possible quickly. Um, I'm looking for the initial facial droops, uh, the numbness, uh, the lack of movement, slurred speech. The hardest one is that dizziness one, um, which is very complicated. It is hard because sometimes they don't appear as any other kind of stroke. You know, they don't have very, like an obvious, obvious facial droop or anything like that. Uh, it could be just a small change of language. Um, and those are like the really critical ones because those are the ones you can fix very easily um, or much more easily and have a better outcome and preventing it to go becoming even worse. We're very lucky to have the neurocritical care docs in the ER. I think that makes it very much like flows much better because of that. And we can utilize you guys uh, to help with that triaging. Um, but there are lots of times when we're not there, right? And it's just, it's up to you guys. And, and it seems like it's a pretty high stress thing and, and high risk for sure. The medical literature on the physician side is rife with description of missed strokes and mimics and the things that we're all afraid of. And I think most emergency physicians consider stroke care to be a pretty high stress event. Is it the same way in nursing? Do you guys hear all about the missed cases? Do you feel like it's a stressful part of your triage experience to try to identify these patients? Or is it just... It's just old hat. You guys, you got it, and there's, it's not hard. I mean, I think through the years you get better at recognizing the signs. I mean, you can have, like Kirk says, you can have something as subtle as dizziness. My neighbor actually had an incident where she had a TIA, and she was just dizzy and vomiting. Um, and so you could, you could just be dizzy coupled with other symptoms. Um, so... It just really depends. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, there's certain things that kind of key, you key into when a patient says, hey, you know, I, was, I felt normal earlier today and now I don't feel normal. And um, so that's definitely, it kind of makes you uh, think about, you know, how this patient could be having a stroke. At the risk of descending into group therapy, <laughs> either one of you remember missing a stroke? 
that you kicked yourself for later? Because I, I certainly do. Right? I remember working in the ED missing one. There was a guy who was found in a bathtub. He'd been there for 24 hours. And he just seemed like he was having a psychotic break. And it turns out that he was actually having a very rare subtype of stroke. Um, I missed it. Lots of us missed it. Um, you guys remember any of those that would be maybe beneficial for the audience to hear about? When you have a secondary thing that's covering up what could possibly be a stroke, uh, i.e. alcohol to where they have chronic alcohol use, so you don't really know what their baseline is. Um, I've definitely triaged them, especially being at the charge desk, triage, I've triaged them to B-pod. And I usually always try to concern, you know, make a concerned effort to tell my residents that, you know, I'm something's off, you know, the story's off, something's off, but it's not right. Um, and usually allow them to facilitate the movement of where we need to go after that. Um, so yes, there, it, occasionally times you do miss something, but you try to eliminate those moments by, you know, just after seeing a thousand of them, you, you just kind of learn, you know. And I think um, complex migraines can also look like stroke. So you can you can assume that somebody has a migraine and they could really be having a stroke. Also, like younger people, you, you wouldn't expect to have strokes as much. But um, we just had a, a 20-something-year-old male in our trauma bay the other day that um, we gave TPA to. So you, yes. just, you just never know. We're, we're absolutely seeing younger and younger patients coming in for their stroke symptoms. Um, and it's interesting, we're trying to track that epidemiology and understand that trend. Um, COVID is certainly a problem too. So you add COVID to the mix and strokes are much more common in patients who are recovering from the COVID symptoms. Let me ask you a question. Let's say you have um, other people listening to, to this podcast. You have nurses who are in training and, and thinking about um, what they need to learn to be effective emergency stroke nurses, right? Name two things you'd share with them. What are two things that you've learned in your experience that are, are things to anchor on? Jen, you earlier mentioned, mentioned last node well, right? That was an important thing to know. And I think we, we harp on that nonstop in emergency care of stroke patients. We must know a last known well. And for the administration of TPA under standard guidelines, that's critically important. As we move towards perfusion-based imaging, we're pushing a lot of those limits, but that last known well is still a critical piece of information. What's one other thing or two other things that you might really advocate that they think about? I mean, just the fact that um, they're, the patient's not at their baseline, they're acting differently would be a, a key. The time is of the essence and um, the fact that they're not themselves. I think keying into their symptoms, really. I mean, you, you know that slurred speech isn't real all the time. You know, ask if the patient's a drinker. If he's not, then, then you've got to be clued into that. Um, the fact that they can't move their whole one side or that their face is drooping, that's not normal. So symptoms, baseline, right. and just time. All right, well, Kirk, let me ask you then. So you've got an EMS call and it comes in and they say, hey, we're bringing you a real one, right? They're, they're pre-hospital strokes score positive. We think it's a big one. You let the doc know and then you sort of kick into gear. What are you doing? What are the next pieces in your actions that you think are effectively facilitating that stroke care? First is obviously getting the peripheral IV so they can get the, the actual CT that they actually require. And then getting your monitor set up. We get a bed over there. We already have a monitor ready on the CT table, prepared with leads and blood pressure cords and SVO2 cords, ready to just get on them as fast as possible. And then blood pressure control really is, is what I focus okay. on uh, a lot of times is, depending on obviously which type of stroke, 
what we want. You know, do we want it more elevated? Do we, do we need to start decreasing it um, so we can start administration of TPA as fast as possible? Because I think in our world, we kind of get delayed by that is one of the first things we probably get delayed by is trying to get the blood pressure under control for the ischemic stroke so we can facilitate administration of TPA. So let's say I'm a new doc, right? And I'm, I'm working a shift and a stroke patient comes in who's hypertensive and we decide this is an ischemic stroke, we're going to go ahead and treat them, but their pressure is too high. And I look at you and say, why don't you use whatever you normally use, right? Like the defensive line that the young doc might do. What do you normally use? What are you going for? Like, what's your go-to? If, if you're like, man, I hope that doc orders this, what is this? I'll start with usually a dose of labetalol, obviously prescribed by the physician. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we're lucky in our ER to have access to 24-hour pharmacy, uh, usually always docked into our ER. So getting them at bedside to get the nicardipine set up for you, uh, the nicardipine—that's that, kind of your go-to yeah. for blood pressure control. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And then when you commented on getting that IV quickly, because you're going to need to get CT angiography done. Mm -hmm. So back in the day, we used to write orders for CT angio-appropriate IV. Right. That's what we would write because none of us actually knew what that meant. Mm -hmm. When you see that order come down the pike, what are you doing? Where are you trying to get that IV? 2018 gauge in the right AC or in the right forearm. So um, you're still trying to go right side all the time. Yeah. And that's important. The CT from, text tell us it is. Yes. No, but <laughs> for, and, and it's for the timing of the imaging, yeah. for yeah. the contrast to get yeah. to where it needs to it's, go so they can time it appropriately. Yeah. Um, and understanding that is a little probably above what we need to know, but knowing that, you know, we're always telling EMS to try to for the right side at IV. I teach it with the medics that I teach um, every year. Get your right-sided IV down. Get your right eyes. Like, if you think it's a stroke, go right-sided. I think that's just a training thing that we've learned over time. I think it's really important. But, I mean, the point is, you're, you know, you're so sophisticated in your thinking. It's actually just reflex now, right? You see something you think is a stroke that's going to get treated. You are now getting last known wells. You're holding a CT scanner open. You're getting a right-sided IV for CT and geography. You know that you're looking for labetalol order followed by nicardipine if they're hypertensive. I mean, those are pretty sophisticated thought processes that have occurred both through training and experience. I mean, between the two of you, how many thousands of stroke patients do you think you've seen? Right? It's Plenty. A lot. Yeah, yeah. So do you ever get nervous when you're pushing TPA now? So you pushed it a lot of times, right? You guys have pushed lots of scary things in your careers. Does it make you nervous? Um, I mean, I don't think it does. I mean, we have pharmacy right there to help us mix it. And I mean, it, it can cause bleeding. I've seen it cause bleeding, um, but the cases are very low that I've seen it cause bleeding. So I think it's a good thing. She's right. Having pharmacy there, so we don't have to calculate all the dosaging. That takes a lot of nerve-wracking thoughts out of my head, yeah. um, just because that's their job, you know? And, sure. and to be able to have someone there dedicated to do that, to make sure we're doing it right, to make sure we even have the flush, the 50 ml flush bag afterwards so we administer the full TPA dose, keeps it away from other people's hands. Yeah, so, so I'm going to break down two things. One, we're going we're gonna to end that with the 50 ml flush. But before that, Jen, especially maybe, do you remember the days when you were mixing the drug at the bedside and I you do. had a 100 milligram vial, but you were only going to give 80 milligrams and you had to suck out 20 ml so they didn't accidentally get it? Yep. Remember those days? I do remember All those right. days. So th those were scary days, but those are important days, right? So yeah. for places that don't have pharmacists, that's still a nursing job. It's it not is. like the physician is going to know to do that. That's just not how they're trained. Yeah. And then you just said something, Kirk, that's awesome. So tell me about this 50 ml flush at the end. What is that? 
Well, <laughs> so there's a, about approximately 15 mLs left in the tubing uh, from the cartridge that administers the TPA and on our pumps. And so I don't know where this came in from or where this was thought of, but those 15 mLs are still part of the treatment. And if they don't get that, then they're not really receiving their full dose. Right. Um, and I don't know how effective or, you know, how much more of that 15 mLs would be important, but it is important to get that full dose per their body sure. weight. It's, it's a few milligrams, and it, it actually can make a difference from an underdosing standpoint. So you run 50 mLs following it at the same rate, right, until mm -hmm. you clear yeah. your line. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's really important. That's something that actually physicians certainly don't know about, at mm -hmm. least uh, non-stroke specialist physicians. And I think that's something that some nurses may not actually know either, right? They might not think about it mm -hmm. um, if they haven't been trained appropriately. I think that's a really important piece. All right, the biggest pitfall to acute stroke care in an emergency department is? Because you guys have seen it from both sides, right? You, you see when the, the docs are hemming and hawing, you guys know what your side looks like, you know what it looks like when EMS brings them in. The biggest pitfall. Honestly, probably in our facility alone, it, just because we're the only trauma center um, in the region, we're the only comprehensive stroke center in the region, we get bogged down with other traumas or other medically sick yeah. patients. So that's probably our biggest downfall. Capacity. Um, is capacity. Yeah. Uh, so. And, and that's not going to be terribly dissimilar in most emergency departments. Right? We're, we're built to handle surge as a specialty, but surge is built into our specialty because we all see it. So that helps me a lot. If that's a big pitfall, if having the bandwidth to really focus on those patients when they come in um, is a challenge, what are some strategies you use to mitigate that? How do you stay focused on that patient? Well, I mean, we're lucky that we do have a lot of, you know, shrew trained nurses and uh, we do have a lot of help. So if, if we have several traumas in the trauma bay uh, and then, you know, we get two strokes in, um, definitely we can assign somebody to stay, you know, with that stroke patient, especially if they're getting TPA. It, it becomes a one-on-one -on -one patient at that point, um, you know, with all the neuro checks and, and vital signs that you have to do. I mean, so you okay. really, you really need... So, so that becomes a one-on-one -on -one patient for you yes. once you give TPA. So, so tell us about that. So again, for those of us who aren't nurses listening mm -hmm. or those who are new nurses trying to learn this or even those who are trying to develop the nursing protocols for their systems and using this podcast as a resource, what does that mean when you say you go to one-to-one because -one of all the neuro checks? Can you really just take me through it? So you, you got you got your patient. Their vitals are now probably within range or we wouldn't have given TPA and you you push your bolus, mm -hmm. right? How, how long does it take to get that bolus in? About a minute? Um, yeah, it's over a couple minutes. Okay. And then we start a drip. Yep. And that drip's going to go in over an hour. Yep. Um, and then what are you doing as a nurse? Well, just constantly assessing the patient. You know, we do Q15 minute vital checks along with Q15 neuro checks while the TPA is going as well as after the TPA is done. Um, so you're constantly just assessing the patient, hoping for, you know, change um, for the better, um, more towards the patient's baseline. So, yeah, we, uh, you pretty much stay right there with the patient and family. Um keep talking to the patient, making sure their, their blood pressure is within range. Yeah, it's definitely a one-on-one. -on -one. And so if we do have other patients, um, you know, you kind of just, you stay with your stroke patient and just, you know, make sure that everything's going well. So let me throw a curveball. So you, you're there with your one-on-one -on -one stroke patient, you're 30 minutes in, and then they suddenly develop a headache. What do you do from a nursing standpoint? What do you do? Notify our ER physician, obviously, okay. um, and make sure what we need to do to communicate with the other neurocritical care staff and the neurology staff and the stroke staff. Right. 
and figure out what we need to do. Is this a, a good thing or is it a bad thing yeah. that he has it? You know what I mean? Uh, does he, do we need to repeat a CT scan? You know, is there other changes? Are we doing a full neuro assessment again, in which the nurse should be doing anyways? It's hard. It, yeah. it really is a hard situation to be in. I, I'm pretty sure that I've seen you guys. That patient develops a headache. It's like the call to the doc, and then you're prepping that patient to get them portable again because you're yeah. pretty sure you're heading to the CT scanner and shutting your TPA off before you go, mm-hmm. right? I have never shut TPA off in 18 years. You haven't had to? Never. Oh, have you heard? Yes. You yeah. did? Yeah. So that's the thing, right? Yeah. So when, when you get a really bad headache or, or there's an acute change in neurologic, like they're worsening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think any bleeding occurred after the TPA was done. Yeah. So. I've had oh, some gum bleedings yeah. and stuff like that, but, but that's, yeah. that's kind of, I mean, that's all right. You that's, know, yeah. that's okay if you have some gum bleeding or some bleeding out of the tongue or. Always put a Foley in before you start the TPA. Yes. That's a good one. Always put a Foley in before the TPA. Always. Yes. Always. What happens if you don't? Do you just wait? You send them to the ICU without a Foley? Well, if they're a guy, you can put a condom cath on them, but I don't know. I mean, it's just... A, what about Purewick? Can you or Purewick? Yeah, you could, right? yeah, you could Purewick. Or I don't know if ICUs or a guy. do Purewick. <laughs> no, we certainly do. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I really appreciate you guys spending the time with us today. I'm going to ask you for your parting thoughts. What is it that if you had a pulpit with which you could spread the gospel of nursing in emergency medicine and stroke, what would you tell those who do what you do at other places... Uh, what would you tell them to do that you think you've learned here that they may not have? Anything? I mean, I would say don't be afraid of stroke. Um, it's certainly a complicated process. There's different types of strokes. Um, just be aware of all all types of symptoms that people can have. Um, and just like we said, time is of the essence. Um, get those people where they need to be in the CAT scanner and seeing the proper um, physicians. You know, and then if they can get the medicine, that that's great because um, usually it, you know, prolongs uh, great outcomes. And so I don't know. Yeah, same with Jen. Uh, getting the right appropriate treatment for the stroke, um, if that means to going to IR or if that means to get TPA and IR. But TPA is a great drug. You know, it 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 works. I mean, it, it I've seen it work. I've seen it improve people's lives. I've seen it improve people's outcomes. So it's an amazing process. But to believe that we can make a difference in their lives as fast as possible is the best outcome. Well, I appreciate hearing that, and I, I think just to provide that fair and balanced assessment, it, it can really improve outcomes. And unfortunately for a small subset of the population, it causes bleeding and can worsen mm-hmm. outcomes. And it's hard to know, we, we really struggle to predict who that's going to occur. And I think we all have a, a sense of responsibility when it does occur. I think we're all pretty happy for our patients. Right? We're mm-hmm. proud of the work when they improve dramatically during infusion. And I think we've all seen that. It's a, it's a pretty amazing thing to see. Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate you guys spending the time with us today. Thanks so much for being here and thank you for listening. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for listening today. This Stroke Journey podcast is a collaboration between the National Stroke Education Center, MCRAIG International, and MedEd On The Go. For more comprehensive, high-quality educational resources for healthcare professionals, please visit strokejourney.com.